Welcome to episode four of Caravan Conversations. On this episode, I'm in Kira on Queensland's Gold Coast and speaking with cancer survivor, author, and clinical naturopath Katrina Ellis. Katrina's story is nothing short of courageous and inspiring. Diagnosed at 27 with a rare, usually always fatal form of cancer, this is the recreation of Katrina's diagnosis, multiple treatment regimes, and the emotional whirlwind, which is cancer. This story will confuse, terrify, frustrate, but ultimately inspire all of you. This story demonstrates the multifactorial disease, which is cancer, and why we must address it from just as many angles. If this podcast resonates with you or is a topic that family or friends would enjoy, please share the link with them. Your support of PSC ensures continued access to guests of this calibre and keeps me on the road to bring you guys the goods. Your support is greatly appreciated. Get comfortable, people. This episode is about to begin. You are listening to Caravan Conversations with Shannon Brenton. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. Caravan Conversations is proudly produced by PSE Supplements and explores general health, nutrition and lifestyle with one of Australia's most experienced clinicians. Now, let's get into the show. Right, we are live. Uh, welcome everyone to another episode of Caravan Conversations. My name is Shannon Brenton, your host and owner of PSC Supplements, and today I'm really, really, really honoured to sit here with a lady that uh, I've followed for my entire clinical career. Um, most of you guys will know that I uh, took an interest in chronic disease at an early beginning of my career, and cancer is one of those things that doesn't really get any more chronic. And it's also something that most practitioners generally don't want to touch because it's difficult, um, it's emotive, and uh, a lot of people aren't comfortable going to that place. So early in my career, I became really aware of Katrina and Katrina's struggle, and I got myself a copy of Shattering the Cancer Myth, which is the book authored by Katrina herself, which exposes her journey and her treatment protocols and really the, you know, everything that's brought her to this place now as, as an amazing woman and mother and wife and practitioner. And I'd really like to introduce Katrina Ellis to everyone. Hi, everyone. How yeah. are you today? Welcome, Katrina. Thank you. How good's Kira, hey? Oh, it's amazing. That's if, why I'm here. If anyone hasn't been down to Kira, um, you know, anyone that surfs like myself will know that Kira is mm-hmm. sort of the epicentre of surfing. You know, Kelly Slater's called his favourite wave, you know, back, back in the day when it was breaking properly. Yes. And, um, <laughs> but this southern end of the Gold Coast is just amazing. Oh, and, I love uh, it. Obviously, the access down to cool places like Kingscliff and, oh. you know, Cabarita and the, and the like. So any yes. of my, uh, my audience over on the West Coast, uh, get your bums over here and check it out and uh, come and see Katrina while you're here. Um, Katrina, if you don't mind, um, you know, we know you've had cancer, um, you know, anyone that's listening to this podcast will have a special interest in that. Um, I'd really like to, uh, if you don't mind, just go back to life pre-cancer, you know, so, um, you're a budding, you know, young naturopath, you're, you're pumped on food, um, you're over there in Thailand doing all your things over there. Take us to that time and and give us a little bit of an indicator about, you know, the progression towards, you know, um, the diagnosis. Well, I, I would have only been like in my early 20s when I first went to Thailand yes. and um, and I was excited and it turned out I was working for the Deputy Prime Minister over there in his new retreat, Shiva Song, which is very famous now. You didn't know that before you went, that it was the Deputy Prime Minister? Well, I didn't know. I didn't know the whole story. I just knew it was all very secretive. He came yeah. over here. He was looking for a naturopath. Yeah. Oh, actually, it was after a nutritionist and I ended up turning up to the interview and 
he was there with a monk mm. and um, I went in. I just had a feeling he was someone quite regal, but I had no idea at the time he was the Deputy Prime Minister. Did you curtsy? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> like, oh, gee, what an intro. I know. This arrogant Australian woman coming up and not curtsying. <laughs> I didn't know whether to shake hands with the monk or not, but anyway, so, and um, then I found out, I had an interview and found out that I got the job in Thailand. I hadn't even finished graduating yet. I still had six months to go and um, all of a sudden I had plane flights. I was over there. They flew me to Thailand and I ended up in this magic place called Hua Hin. And um, so I I worked there for two months and I was the only Western person there with about 400 Thai staff. So. wow. It was amazing. Did anyone speak English or? No. No, wow. No. So you learned pretty quickly. I, I learned so rapidly and the food was so, the, the food was amazing, but it was so different than my food back here. Yeah. So I thought it was super healthy, but didn't realise it was full of fish sauce and yeah. sugar and stuff. When I, t- I tested my cholesterol, I was 21, I think it was 7.2. Wow. But yeah. Good job. <laughs> like, I know. Converting sugars to fat, clever. Wow. <laughs> like, so anyway, they flew me back. I loved it. And um, they, they let me finish my degree. And then the day after I finished, they flew me back to Thailand and gave me a permanent job. That's amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. So this is before you met your husband and, and all that stuff, right? I'd met him. I, I had actually met him once. And the first time I met him, I'd fallen in love with him. But we didn't meet again for another eight years. Wow. Yeah, so I ended up flying over there. And they put me in a beautiful place, a condominium over there. Yep. And um, and then I started my job. So And what was your role there? Well, I was the naturopath, but it turned out I was also a yoga instructor. So I was teaching the yoga and I became the nutritionist. I basically became everything. Yeah. So And they love Westerners, right, over in Thailand. Oh so my God. one woman over there, oh. you know, blonde ends. Yeah. You know, everyone would have been stoked on that. Yeah, it was crazy. It was re- it was really nice. Everyone was um it was good learning the culture because the culture is very beautiful yes. and um I learned the language quickly, so I fit into, and this is what he was happy about because he wanted someone from the West that could come over there and actually fit in with the Thai people and learn their respect and their mm. culture, which I learned very rapidly, mm. and I loved it. It was unbelievable. So what, why did you leave? Um, what put you out of there in the end? Well, I, in, in a lot of ways, I thought I'd be there forever, So, um, but there was a culmination of events that happened to me. So I was there for many years, and... I was working there and doing consultations with famous people from all around the world and I was designing all the health programs, the weight loss programs, the food, everything. I loved it. It was my perfect job. Yeah. So, And then towards after many years, um, near the house where I lived, um, we had a chemical had basically – so what had happened, we had southerly winds and this mist came and blew over our house. It was like a yellow or orange mist yeah. and – we were like, oh, that's strange, and my throat felt really sore. All of us in the house were the same. Anyway, this continued for weeks and weeks, and and we'd heard reports that many people had got rushed to hospital, and um, and I wasn't feeling very well at all. So anyway, things came out in the media, and it was uncovered that at the time they thought that Agent Orange had been buried near our town. Yeah, and um, they, they were in big barrels, and um, basically what had happened is they were digging a new airport for Wahin, and the barrels had been hit, and as the barrels had been hit, unfortunately the wind was blowing over the town at that time, and the Agent Orange was blowing basically all over. And I was only a kilometre from where they dug up the airport. Wow. So. What a terrible, that's like treading on a needle at the beach, isn't it? I know, it? incredible. Know, so just waiting for the prognosis. That's it. So what yeah. happened then? You weren't feeling well. Um, you, you probably just thought it was, you know, something yeah. else I'd imagine. So. Well, that's it. 
they had done reports and said, oh, it was Agent Orange, but then as the Americans came in and um, with tourism, they started to cover it up and say it was paint dinners and things like that. Mm. And it came out many years later that it was actually Agent Orange. They proved it. And um, so anyway, I wasn't feeling well and, um, you know, I had to come back to Australia and things had culminated by then. And at this time, you know, I had sort of made a change that maybe I was going to kind of leave Thailand, you know, or leave there and do some personal work, Mm -hmm. you know. So I'd been offered a lot of great jobs around the world. So I was thinking about it at the time and then just one day, you know, um, my belly started to feel like I was a little bit bloated. So I thought, oh, that's strange. You know, maybe it's something digestive, something like that. So I started doing a little bit of a detox and that, but it didn't go away. So I I tried different things and did tests and didn't seem right to me. And the bloating was still there, so it was really unusual. But the unusual thing is that, you know, my periods were still perfect, you know, it was on time. It hadn't upset anything like that, but I just started slowly getting this tummy swelling. So I thought I'd better look into this more and I went to a local Thai doctor. He worked at the hospital there and I went and had a scan. He said I had an ovarian cyst in my left ovary. And I thought, that's strange, you know, um, Maybe that's due to the bloating, but I don't have any symptoms of it. Never had any hormonal symptoms build up, anything mm. like that. So it didn't seem right to me. Yeah. So I thought I'll go and get another opinion. So I went up into Bangkok to a better hospital, got a second opinion, and he said, "Oh, you've." He did another ultrasound and said, "Oh no, you've got an ovarian cyst, but it's on your right ovary, not your left ovary." And I was like, "Okay, wait a second. I've got one on my left." Yeah. And no, there's not one on my left. There's one on my right ovary. And I'm going, "This doesn't sound right." And he handed me a little pamphlet for a hysterectomy package. <laughs> That's what he did. I'm serious. Bit extreme. <laughs> I'm going, "What?" And he's going, "Oh, we might as well just take these out and you know give." I'm like, "No, why?" <laughs> like, wow. And so I thought he said, "Oh, well, we could just take one ovary out." And I went, "No." I, this doesn't sound right. I need to get some more information. And obviously, though, if you've got an ovarian cyst, you're sort of looking at more like mid-cycle pain and oh, you know dysmenorrhea yes. and this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Which obviously wasn't there. Yeah, that's exactly right. Everything was still perfect with my hormones. You know, it was on cycle. I had no PMS. I'd, mm. I'd always been really good with my cycles like that. Mm. So I thought, this is... This is a bit strange. That was the second one. I went for a third opinion. I went and saw another specialist through people that I knew over there and um, who was meant to be really good. And then it came back and he said, oh, no, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's assisted or I think it's something else. You know, it could be a fibroid or something. And so it was all coming back with all different opinions. Mm. So I just... You know, I didn't want to jump into anything until I had some, some honest information. Yep. So um, I had worked for an American friend who's still my friend today, you know, um, a very famous man, and he ended up flying me overseas to England and to see another doctor over there. So I went and saw a doctor. I got another opinion of this doctor, and he said, look, we'll fly you to UCLA. But by this stage, my tummy was blowing up bigger and bigger and bigger. And with hindsight, of course, we know there's a classic, you know, ovarian yes. cancer signs, right? That's, yes, um, yes. easy to mistake it for abdominal dysfunction. That's exactly right. And also with ovarian cancer, like you, like you say, there's not a lot of symptoms. Yeah, that's right. You know? So um, my bowel motions were still perfect. You know, I still had heaps of energy. Mm. So I didn't have the normal kind of things that I would link to cancer. Yep. And at this stage, I'd only been a practitioner maybe for five years. Mm. So I was quite new to all this. And when I was working at Shivasom, I had people coming to me with cancer. And I thought, oh, I'm such an immature position. I didn't really understand cancer. Yeah. So one time and a couple of times I thought to myself, oh, how can I understand if I don't have it? Oh. So, <laughs> you're thinking you may have drew it to yourself yeah, almost that, from a that was one little thing. synchronicity type scenario. Well, and then the other thing, if I go back to it, at the time I, I was in a relationship 
even though I'd got exposed to Agent Orange and he was quite toxic, mm. the person I was with. Yeah. So he wasn't a good person and, you know, he he didn't have a great heart like that. And yeah. I just let him rob from me and, you know, take from me and stuff like that and I'd put up with it. Mm. So – and I was sort of making the decision at the time maybe to leave him as well. So I had a culmination of things happening all at the one time. Yeah. So – and so anyway, he flew me over to America. I went to UCLA and I went to Nicole Kidman's gynecologist, mm-hmm. like who was meant to be the best in the world. And he got me in because he, he knows people. And I went over there and the guy um, did some tests with me, all different types of tests. I'd had blood tests too, by the way, and nothing had come no up. No cancer markers. No cancer markers, yep. nothing. Everything was perfect in my bloods. And went over there and he said, um, oh, he said uh, he thought he, I had a benign borderline tumour, you know, and it wasn't harmful. Um, but he was suggesting, let's just take your ovary out, the right one. And if I go in there, there's something there, we'll take your left one too. Mm-hmm. So, and I was like, what? And I, at, by this stage, I was only 27. You had no children at this time. No. So we're looking at sort of lost dreams and ambitions. That's and... exactly right. So I was kind of like, this is crazy. and freaking out going and thinking to myself, no, I want to have babies. There's no one want to do this. What if I go in there? And he said, and I said, would you just take the right ovary if it is and just leave the left? And he said, no way. Mm. He goes, if I go in there, I'll take the you left take too. And I went home and I was with my friend, you know, and by this stage I probably looked maybe I like I was seven months pregnant. That's how big my belly was. Mm. So and I was like and I was with my friend and all of a sudden I got a phone call from Australia and it was my mum and he'd spoken to she'd spoken to an amazing healer on the Sunshine Coast. Mm-hmm. His name was Norm. He was a homeopath for for fifty years. He used to be a GP. Yep. Um incredible man in his um thing. And she'd spoken to him and he said, Tell your daughter to come home, I can heal her in three weeks. And I spoke to my mum and I thought to myself and I went, yep, I'm going home. So I asked my friend and he flew me straight back to Australia. So we went to the Sunshine Coast up there. Um, we went basically then what I did, Forest Glen. It's a famous yeah, organic. Glen, yeah. yep. It was one little room at that time, so yeah. it, it wasn't big at that stage. So we went to Forest Glen and started getting organics and we went to see Norm. So then Norm started doing some work on me and he used a technique called the raindrop technique which is um, developed by the Indians mm-hmm. in America. And he started using homeopathics, doing this raindrop technique with me. And we started over weeks. And as he started working with me, my tummy started going down. Like, And I was like, this is amazing. So I, I went and saw him like every second or third day. Mm-hmm. And I kept doing it. And I went through my cupboards and basically I got everything organic and I started juicing and um, do every, did everything I knew that could help with. And did Norm have any idea what was going on here? Or he was just sort of... He, he still didn't suspect cancer. No okay. one suspected cancer yeah. at any stage, you know. He was still thinking in his head that it was some kind of, you know, cystic growth or something like that, but it wasn't yeah. cancerous because I just had no symptoms towards anything mm. like that. And generally fatigue's one of the major signs of cancer, yeah. right? Yeah, and I was still so high in energy and, mm. you know, and I think a lot of that was due to the fact that when it first started, it was contained. Yeah. So being contained like that, it was just growing contained, mm. even though it was in other areas, like they were still contained areas. Mm. And because of that, it wasn't creating fatigue symptoms or knocking down my hemoglobin or mm. anything like that. So I seemed normal. Yeah. So except for my big belly. <laughs> like, so um, he started working with me and it just started going down. And I was just like, this is amazing. So and I kept working I, and slowly I, my tummy started to become flat. It was incredible. So and I thought and then I went back to him for the last time and he said, look, we've done our work. You know, everything's good. And he said, um, 
and he asked me a couple of questions about periods, hormones, different things like that. And he said, I just want to give you a homeopathic, you know, to deal with the emotional cause of things. Mm. So he asked me those, didn't tell me what it was, and he ended up giving me this homeopathic. And he said, take a few now and then take a few in about three hours. And he said, you know, that's going to help with that emotional shift there of the cause. And I went, oh, great. So some friends called me in the Gold Coast I hadn't seen for, mo- for months and said, come down, you know, and I wanted to come and celebrate with them. I was really excited. So I started driving down to the Gold Coast and I was super excited and stuff like that. And as I'm driving down, all of a sudden, my tummy started to... Starts to grow again. Grow again. Yeah. And then it just, it's like it blew up in one go. And I was like, oh my God, I was in shock. So I This got, is after this homeopathic remedy. That's right. Mm, straight after like the... Bringing, hum- bringing out That's exactly something. right. It was incredible and it just blew up and it blew up bigger than what it was. So I was like, and all of a sudden it was like I was 10 months pregnant. Norm. It was incredible. (laughs) (laughs) So Um. I rang him up and he said, I don't know, you know, and he he couldn't help me, you know, like that. And I was like, no. So I was devastated and I, I drove back to the Sunshine Coast and we went and saw a doctor and she wasn't sure and she put me in with a specialist in Brisbane. This specialist in Brisbane, it was a female she had no idea as well. Did another test. That so was just misdiagnosis over and over and over. And all the bloods were still coming back perfect. Yeah. And they couldn't work it out. And then finally I got in with a incredible, like a really well-known surgeon, you know, and... Um, so everyone to this point was just trying to avoid surgery, right? For obvious reasons. Comple- completely. Because yeah. no one could diagnose anything. Yeah. And, um, and everything was coming back. So normal scans, everything like that. Mm. And they couldn't work it out. And um, so I finally got into him and he said, look... And he did some extra tests and stuff, and he goes, "Look, I don't think it's still don't think it's cancer. I think it might be a borderline tumor, mm. you know, which isn't dangerous. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think the best thing is we just go in, take it out, you know, and um, just take the tumor out. That's basically what he was saying. If it's a borderline tumor, so I went, "Yep, you've got to get it out because by this stage it was so big I had to sleep with a pillow." Right, just it. to hold the weight. Hold yeah. the weight, yeah. So I had a, it had its own pillow. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Did you name it? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, so, um, so yeah, so within a few days, all of a sudden I'm in the hospital, a place I'd never been and a place I never expected to be. Yeah. So um, Feeling very fragile too, no Oh, now. yeah, completely. After all this journey, you mm. know, that had taken all these months and that, that um, all of a sudden I was back at, it felt like square one to me. Mm. You know, but I just wanted it out, you know, because it was so uncomfortable. It was even hard to breathe. That's mm. how I was getting. So, um, so anyway, I went into surgery, and all I remember is that as I was coming out, because I'd said to them, I they wanted me to sign a request form before I went in that said, you know, if anything happens, we can take your ovaries mm. and you know your fallopian tubes, stuff like that. And I I wrote on the request form, I'm not signing this unless you keep at least one ovary and yep. all my reproductive organs in. Yep. And they said, oh, we can't guarantee that. And I said, well, that's what I'm signing. Just open me up, have a look and close me up. That's exactly yeah. right. That's what I wanted. So that's what I wrote down there. So anyway, um, went into surgery and I remember just being dazed and sort of kind of waking up and there was a nurse there. And I'm going, is my ovaries still there? Is my ovaries? That was the first thing that came to my head. She goes, yes, love. Yes, they're still there. They're still there, love. And I was like, oh, good. Went back to sleep and I was like, oh, my ovaries are still there. This is great. So anyway, I woke up and as I woke up, there's tubes going everywhere. Mm. <laughs> like, I was like, what the hell? But, you know, that's how I felt. You can swear on this podcast. Yeah, I said, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, what are all 
these tubes. So yeah. there's tubes everywhere and, and I'm like, oh, wow, but at least oh, I thought, oh, wow, I'm great. You know, I'm everything must be good. My ovaries are still in. And, but then no one came to see me. You know, the nurses were coming checking, but my doctor didn't come in and I was like... So they were off doing pathology, no doubt, yeah? On yeah, the, on that's the right. They were doing yeah. that and I was just waiting and stuff like that. And um, they told me everything was great, everything you know, the surgery and all this. And still this stage, I, I still thought I had two ovaries, mm. do you know, and everything. And um, so anyway, about still waiting, we're going, God, the day's going on. I'm going, I'm ready to go home. By this stage, I was like all pumped to go home and um, I got myself better because my mum was bringing in food. Yeah. My mum had brought me up, naturally. Yeah, good, good mums. I know, they were real. Yeah. <laughs> can't live, can't, girl can't live on hospital food. No, it's so it. true. So my mum would come in, my brothers would come in, my dad, and it was great, you yeah. know, and I was taking heaps of vitamins and nutrients yeah. and um, so I was, I felt like I was in a really good position. Mm. And then um, he came in after about five days and he came in and we were like, oh, yeah, and he, I said, oh, how'd everything go? And he was just looking at me like, like this and I went, what, what? And he goes, well, we didn't expect that, like this. And I go, what, what? And he goes, um, he goes, uh, well, it's turned out it's a lot more aggressive than what we thought. And I went, oh, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, um, it's a really rare form of ovarian cancer, but it's the most aggressive, like this. And we didn't expect that. And what must have been happening because it had got so big, it had been spilling, mm. like, out, out of the tumour, like, days before because yep. it had got big and it was going through, you know, like, um, the blood and the fluid and stuff into other areas of the body. Yep. And we didn't... Which obviously makes your prognosis... Um, you know, less, less than happy, right? That's right. And um, he said, basically said, you know, we're not sure what we're going to do, but, you know, are we, you're not going to live, basically, unless we do super intense chemotherapy with you, mm-hmm. you know, um, otherwise you haven't got a long time to live. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, me being a naturopath, yeah. you know, and all the research I'd done, and still I didn't know a lot about cancer, but I knew chemotherapy was a toxic poison and yeah. probably for me wasn't the main answer. Yeah. So, sorry. And um, so... You, and you also knew you didn't want it. I didn't want it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because I knew it was a poison, and in my head I was like, is this the answer? But then part of me was the doctor was going, oh, you're going to die, and here I was at 27 vulnerable in mm. that position, feeling like... Oh, he's saying I'm going to die if I don't do it. And then, so I had a big decision to make. And he said, you know, it's that serious. We have to start in a few days' time. So yep. he wasn't giving me any time. Yep. So I had a lot of pressure. So how was that for you, Katrina? Seriously, I, yeah. I, I can feel it just sitting here, the heaviness of it. You know, yes. I, can, I can just imagine you, you go in there, you know, you live this great life. You've had awesome experiences. You've been yes. looking after the deputy, you know, prime yes. minister that you didn't curtsy for over yeah. the time. <laughs> and, and the next thing you're laying in a bed. You know, yeah. I'm expecting you to go home. Mum's bringing you, you know, good food, and now you're going to die. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god! How, how does that was... feel? I, I don't want to know what the naturopath thinks about it. Well, what's the, how, how does that? You know, I don't even know what to ask you. Do you know what it felt like? Um, for me, it was like almost like a knife through my heart. Do you know, like everything I believed in and everything, and I was put in this position, and I was like. I couldn't believe that I'd been so healthy all my life and I'd eaten so well, um, exercised, all of that kind of stuff and I'd always been into good health and great nutrition and stuff that I, of all people, was in that position. Mm. So that it was, it was an absolute shock to me. Mm. So as I imagine anyone with cancer when they get that diagnosis is shock. Yeah. And also because I didn't know a lot about cancer, I still associate cancer with death. Yeah. So that was the biggest well, it's, thing it's for the me. Big C, isn't it? That's you it. Know? Yeah, I'm very different now. But what I knew at the time, yep. you know, that's 
all I knew. And now you're bringing up one of the six major fears. Yeah. You know, fear of death, it's number one on the list. Yeah. So 27-year-old girl, you know, a vulnerable, doesn't know what's going on. Um, yes. You know, did you go through that sort of grieving process then, you know, the anger, the why me, the how could it happen? Completely. Yeah, yeah completely. I was really, particularly even when I started chemotherapy, yep. I was like, um, I was fighting against the whole thing. You know, I didn't want to do it and I thought to myself, okay, I can use all the natural stuff and a lot of people probably know Henry Oseki. Yeah. Yeah, very yeah. famous man. Well, Henry was there for me at the time. Yep. You know, um, I actually brought his products into Thailand mm. as well, so I knew him really well, Henry, mm. amazing person, but he hadn't released a cancer range yet, you know, but he was still doing amazing nutraceuticals and things like that. Mm -hmm. So he had a beautiful girl that worked for him and she started bringing in products for me yeah. and that they were developing at the time to try to help me. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was a very hard decision for me and I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try it because I don't know what it's about, but I'm going to do all my natural stuff at the same time and see what happens. Mm. Do you know? Um, I didn't actually leave it until I got the strength and realised what really was going on. Mm. So sometimes I feel that when you're in this position, you're rushed, you know, and they don't give you a lot of time to make a big decision. Mm. So people think with cancer you haven't got time, but you've actually got time to think about things. Of course. Yeah. But back then they don't do it. And you know what? Um, ovarian cancer equates to, I think, 2 to 3% of all cancers. Yes. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's heavily aggressive. Um, the last statistics I read on it were... Um, um, 1982, um, there was like um, 900, or sorry, 860 odd, you know, um, diagnostics a year for yeah. ovarian cancer. Yes. 2012, it's doubled. Oh, so true. And yeah. and of of the 1487 women now yeah. being diagnosed, apparently in 2016, yes. 1,100 of them have yeah. already died. It's incredible. Isn't so it? you know, yes. um, your your story is um, far more valuable when you look at the statistics behind. Um, ovarian yes. cancer itself it's not like it's you yes. know um, lymphoma or stomach cancer or something that, that with a yes. higher palliative rate so yes um you know you start this aggressive chemotherapy um yes. at what point did you decide that that wasn't for you okay so what they wanted me to do was um they wanted me to do most people go in and do it for a day do you know and then maybe have two or three weeks off they wanted me to do it for every day in a row yeah do you know and that of course is is is, is a good sign right because they're only going to supply necrotic treatment like chemotherapy yes. at such a significant um treatment regime yes. Yes. with someone so healthy and vital that's exactly right they said because you're young yeah. you know we'll smash you with this that's stuff. it we'll smash you you can yeah. tolerate this you'll be right yeah. and i was um i was like oh and not knowing anything about fully about chemotherapy at the time I didn't understand, you know, it wasn't singular chemotherapy. They were using triple chemotherapy. Yep. So um, other people would come and go in a couple of hours. I was sitting there for seven hours every day. Mm. So that's how long they were taking and how much chemo they were putting through my veins. Mm. So, and I didn't realize until, so they started doing it every day and then all of a sudden I'd go home and little things started to happen, you know. I'd started to feel, took a while, but then I started to feel tired, yep. you know, and I had a coating on my tongue that I just couldn't get rid of. I tried everything, yep. you know, everything natural I could imagine. The only thing that really helped it was miso soup. Really? Miso. It was the only thing, hot miso. So, and I tell my clients that now. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but, you know, I had that coating and that was obviously from all the heat in my blood, yep. you know, from the poison, yep. you know, and the liver was hot. You've got something killing you from the inside out, don't you? I know, you know that's, so true. And that's the, uh, I guess, the win-lose componentry of um, chemotherapy. It is yep. a necrotic treatment. It's yep. designed to go in and just kill tissue. Yes. And obviously by killing tissue, you kill good and bad cells. And then so we, true. we keep our fingers crossed that we don't grow the bad ones back again. So true. And, and there's much 
much smarter ways for them to do that now. You know, yeah. even if they have to use chemotherapy like they do in Germany, yeah. you know, they'll use it at one-tenth of the normal dose, mm. you know, or they'll do it by embolism where they actually take it through the veins that, that actually feed the tumour. Wow, We've even clever. got a doctor here that does it on the Gold Coast and that's people really don't know clever. about it, you know. Mm. I've never even heard of it before. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's really popular in China now. It's popular over in Germany and we we do actually have a doctor that does it here. I just had a client that had it done a couple of weeks ago. Wow. So they don't ruin the rest of their body, mm. which is a smarter way to and go. And of course, ruin the gut, which is what chemo does. <gasps> oh my gosh. Know? And then we know that, you know, yeah. 80 odd percent of the immune system is gut mediated. Oh my goodness, so yes. So you go destroying the gut through chemotherapy, um, now the likelihood of getting cancer, well we know the yeah. likelihood of getting cancer back is double once you've had it once. Incredible, so, yes. So uh, I guess you've got to ask how much of that is due to the treatment that we attune it to. I, I 100% agree. You mm. know, I'll never, if someone comes to me and they say we're doing chemotherapy, the first thing I'll do is try to build up their gut lining. Yeah. Because I know it's going to get destroyed. Yep. Um, so you can only do so much against that. Yep. So, but it took a while, you know, so I'd, I'd done a full cycle and then the next two weeks, that's when things started to drop and I was like taking everything natural I could and I alleviated a lot of side effects, but there was so much poison going through my body that I was feeling the nausea, you know, the sickness, yep. stuff like that. So, but by this stage I was getting courage. I started doing more research. I was talking to Henry, yep. you know, I was starting to get my, my stroke, my power back you know, um, as I learnt more, mm. you know, and so I did another full full round and by this stage I'd done 90 hours of chemotherapy Wow! and that was only in three cycle lots yeah. like that. So, and we went to see the doctor and originally when they did my tumour markers, because I never showed tumour markers until the tumour started leaking. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. so it was all contained in there. So yep. tumour markers, I'm, a lot of people probably realise this now, they're not very accurate. Yeah. So they only, um, not all people throw off a tumour marker. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and um, they're indiscriminate. So they can be endometriosis, could be inflammation. It's yeah. not necessarily cancer. So for our listeners, uh, essentially when there's a suspected diagnosis of cancer, doctors can perform a blood test um, on cancer antigen or cancer embryonic antigen, yep. uh, CA or CEA, which are... Um, I guess, probable signs along with other inflammatory infiltrates and whatnot that we may have uh, you know, a pathology that may be cancer-related attached. That's right. And so obviously then if we're getting other symptoms such as the severe fatigue and the nausea and you know other things like that, um, yes. it's much easier to get a diagnosis. Absolutely. But when you're getting abdominal symptoms that could have been you know, a reaction to gluten or a, you know, a simple IBS or whatever, it obviously yes. throws... Um, yeah, you know, a lot of practitioners from being able to diagnose it rightly so, I guess. So true. That's absolutely so. So tell us this: you, you you're having all the chemo, you know, which I've got to say, yeah. um, I would have done it too. You know, yes. I'm 27. I've got this rare aggressive form of cancer. Yes. You know, you've got your whole world ahead of you. You've yes. got two or three days literally to make a decision what you're doing, you know? That's right. So you, you do the best with what you've got at the time, right? Yeah, that's right. But at this phase, you're starting to get these signs of toxicity. You're not feeling right. Um, your confidence is coming up. You're becoming yes. re-inspired, of course, by, you know, your previous history and your education. And yes. no doubt you were Googling to the shithouse at this time. So true. <laughs> so tell us, um, it would have been a massive decision to stop chemo yeah so what happened my mum was with me and my mum's um so I've always been very free-spirited you know and um courageous and I tend to stand up for what's right you know yeah. I'm I'm pretty powerful You're that a freedom way freedom fighter yeah I am yeah. I am a freedom fighter you know so and I believe in justice so anyway we go into the room to go and see this doctor who I didn't even know who isn't even my oncologist and we go in there to talk to him and he said um he's just looking at a screen doesn't even care about me. He's looking, reading on the screen, and he goes, okay, tumor markers are down to this, and blah, 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 blah. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, you've got no white blood cells. Yeah. Um, 
typical he, side effect of chemo. That's right. And yeah. I went, and he goes, um, how, oh, here we go. We'll, you, we'll give you this needle, yeah. you luster, you know, yeah, yeah. and um, you can go home and inject this into your stomach every night for the next 10 nights um, in a row and you'll be in pain, mm. you know, but hopefully we'll get your white blood cells up while he's looking at the screen. Yeah. And I'm like, I looked at my mum. So basically preparing your body for the onslaught of more chemo. Exactly right. And by this stage, initially when I first started doing chemo, the tumour markers had come down. Yeah. But by this stage, everything had plateaued. So obviously my body was starting to become resistant to the chemotherapy. And I'd done some research, started to study this and went, okay, if it's becoming resistant, if I do more chemo, it's actually going to create a clone of the original chemo and I'm just going to get more meds through my body. Mm. So it was at that stage and he's looking and there was no personal feeling from him or anything like he cared. Mm. And I looked at my mum and I said, you know, mum, I don't want to do this anymore. So what do you think? And she goes, you do whatever you want to do, babe. Like that. How hard for your poor mum. Yeah. Seriously. Yes. Yeah. That would have been so hard for yes. your parents to have to deal with. Yeah, so true. And my mum was so strong like that too. She'd always, she's a freedom fighter herself. And she mm. was like, and she goes, babe, you know in your heart what's right. And I said, look, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think it's right. And I looked at him and said, I'm not doing it. And he went, what? That, that went down well. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> that was it. It was almost like he was going to get the police and, yeah. and tie me to a chair <laughs> like that. And he goes... And he said, well, if you don't do it, you're going to die like that. And I went, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go home and I'm going to use everything I know like yeah. that. And I said, mum, let's go yeah. like this. And he was just there in shock. And we walked out of the room and I said, let's go home. Um, I'm going to do everything I know. You so, know? so what'd you do? You know, I want to get straight to that right now because I'm yes. in suspense right here yeah. as everyone else is. Yes. How did we beat ovarian cancer? Okay, so I used I used a lot of – I used like a whole – pyramid of stuff because I believe there's not one thing that can actually heal cancer although now we can do some good selective targeting tests you know to help so I went home and you know I worked out every cancer finding food um, the link between ovarian cancer you know how to detox my body everything like that had a cold pressed juicer Um, I um, basically I had no sugar in my diet anyway you know and um, I basically went home ch- and looked and started to change my diet and started to make bone broths at that time. Yeah. Do you know, um, green soups, you know, um, I put nutraceuticals and every bit of nutrition in my body I could possibly imagine. Mm. So I got some of the most powerful supplements that I could. You know, um, I started using at the time of shark cartilage, yeah. you know, yeah. and um, I was using that for the angiogenesis yeah. in my system. I was using... Um, so angi- like, angiogenesis is for everyone is basically the proliferation and growth of tumour uh, yes. as it forms tap roots out into, you know, major arterioles that allows blood to come in, feeding the tumour growth, and therefore obviously allowing cancer cells to get out into the limb for it can cause secondary cancers. That's right, yep. yeah. And um, then I got some really good proteolytic enzymes. Yeah, and nice. Yeah, and I was using them away from food. So you hit inflammation hard. Very hard, yeah. yeah. I had buswellia, I had... Um, Everything that I had studied and yep. knew and researched and I just brought all my knowledge together and I got some great practitioners like Henry Seek and other people yep. in the industry to give me their advice and yep. he got me some great products. He put me on bromelain and quercetin yeah. and um, curcumin, yep. all of that way all back then. All anti-inflammatories. Yes. Yep. The only difference was back then, because it was a long time ago, the strength dosages probably weren't as high as what we can make now, sure. create now. So I, I was taking a lot and a lot of capsules and yes. powders and things like that. And I was trying to get my body defences above the cancer. Yeah. That's what I was doing. Yeah. So, and, and obviously supporting um, you know, the body's natural yes. defence processes, right? Because That's bodies right. are smart. And, That's true. And I, and I guess the, the main difference between the natural treatment of cancer and the allopathic um, treatment of cancer is 
you know, they um, sort of work off the necrotic treatment and yes. with natural substances, we're looking at apoptosis, which is the, right. the individual cell suicide and, and, and destruction of the cancer cell selectively. So true. That's absolutely right. Yep. My only missing key was my emotional state. Yeah. And can we, can we go there? Because, yes. you know, you and I both know that there are, you know, many, 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 many factors um, to, you know, cancer formation. Yes. And, you know, while we're looking at a significantly multifactorial disease, we also would both know from our previous experiences that the number one fuck up that often leads yes. to cancer is suppressed emotion. That's exactly right. So here we so are true. now, you had this dead shit in your life at the time who yes. you were just about to cut, but yes. something held you there for some period of time beforehand. That's right. Um, I want to know just... Yeah. I have a hard time not putting um, thoughts, you know, words yes. in people's mouth, you know. But yes. um, I, I want to know: Do you think? Does yes. your heart tell you that that was basically an embodiment of pain that your body had stuck away in the process of a tumor completely. for you to get out that you had suppressed and not dealt with appropriately? Oh, completely, without a doubt. Even if I look at the area that was in, it was in ovarian, yeah. you know, which is female creativity, the nurture. Yes, all mm. of that, and I wasn't nurturing myself. You know, I brought someone into my life. Obviously, because of my own patterns in, in my whatever had happened, whether it was this life or yeah, a past life, yeah. do you know? And um, you know, and I'd suppressed who I really was and my own nurture and my own creativity, and put it put that poison there, you know, as a tumor mm. in my ovarian area. So, was cancer offering you an opportunity? Is my question to you? Completely, completely, without a doubt, it gave me the opportunity, you know, to value myself, to honor myself, to know that, you know, I could self nurture mm. as well, and. We deserve to love ourselves and self-nurture. I wasn't loving myself, obviously. Mm. If I was choosing someone like that in my life to do what he did, I didn't have the love for myself. Yeah. So it taught me that, you know, to go back and love myself. Yep, I'd always been free. always had a, you know, a free spirit and mm. I always wanted to fight for injustices and stuff like that. But somewhere in myself, I was killing myself off. Yeah. I wasn't really loving myself. And so that was my poison. And it forced you on some level to look at that original wound, whether Completely. it was transgenerational or was your own or whatever. It's, it's, it's irrelevant, of course, now. Completely. But it gave you that opportunity. And it's funny, you know, yes. I, I, of all the people that I treat with cancer, um, you know, some will say I've been diagnosed with this. And uh, in all honesty, I, I get almost excited for people. Yes. Because for me, cancer is the greatest kick in the ass oh, one, will, one will ever have. So true. And generally you'll find with most people, and you may be the exception, but with most people you'll find that there was generally things leading up to the point. Yes. That, that had been missed, not looked at, not highlighted, Absolutely. whatever in one's life, that yes. when it gets to the point of cancer... Now that there is that reactive, you know, I'm going to fucking die that comes up, yeah. it, it forces enlightenment in its own right. Yeah, so true. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was talking to Trevor Hendy yesterday about, you know, enlightenment and progression, you know, and uh, yeah. we were talking about some Sanskrit yes. um, um, uh, words for it where, you know, basically yes. some people just wake up and get that lightning bolt of, yes. oh my God, you know, here I am and I'm all enlightened, yes. which is rare. And the rest of us generally... Um, get that through pain and yes. get that through misfortune and through disease of course in our body so that's right tell us what you've learnt from cancer well i've learned i've, I've learned so many lessons it's crazy i've learned you know um to always nurture myself yep. do you know and to um value myself as a human being you know i can't help other people if i'm not well 
And that's easier said than done, right? Oh, completely. You know? When we talk about self-love, it's like, oh, yeah, let's love myself. I'm great. But yeah. <laughs> when you strip most people back, yes. th- there is that shaming going yes. on there. And yes. there is that dysfunction. And, and looking at it, I guess, vibrationally as far as emotions go, you that's know, what, what it was that you were aspiring to, what it yes. was that cancer showed you was the yes. highest vibrational yes. emotion. You that's know? true. And yeah. the place you were beforehand were yes. the lowest vibrational emotion. That's right. And also I felt like... It gave me a lesson in helping to help others, yeah. you know, and heal properly, yeah. to know, um, to look at people. Now when someone comes in with cancer, I don't ever just deal with the physical. Mm. I, I, I unpeel the onion too and go, okay, well, so what do you think emotionally led to this? And yeah. a lot of them will first go, oh, I don't think there's anything. And then as you start unpeeling it, you find there's always an emotional trigger or a build-up yeah. of different things that yeah. they have to heal. Otherwise, no matter what they do physically, they'll never get better. And that there's generally some level of discomfort around. Completely. Hence why they've, you know, pushed it to the side, so to speak. Yeah, so true. So how's that, yes. how's that generally received? Someone comes in here and they pull out all the reports and the bloods and they're throwing CTs and MRIs on the ground <laughs> as fast as you can get your pen out. <laughs> and they're wanting to treat this physical dysfunction. Yes. When Katrina puts her pen down and yes. just says, you know, yes. how are you? Yes, yes. Do you know? Yes. Um, How's it generally received when people, I guess, get that that first opportunity to view themselves for their own complexity? Do you know what? Most people, once they're asked that, I think they've wanted someone deep in their spirit to ask them that the whole time. And yeah. most people, I'd say 98% of them start crying. Yeah. Do you know, because they honestly wanted someone to say that to them or view their soul, mm. do you know, and mm. see what's really painful inside rather than look at everything from a physical aspect because if they're going through the medical system, no one ever cares about that, yep. do you know, as um, good as what a lot of medicine does, you know, it's looking at, okay, we're just treating the disease, mm. you know, or we're just suppressing whatever, mm. but they're not looking at, okay, what caused this? And I say this to people all the time, you know, we, we can't get you better unless we have a cause, yep. you know. You might have, like I had a perfect example, a man yesterday, prostate cancer, had a radical prostatectomy, mm. um, you know, did everything and all of a sudden his PSA is going up again and they're yep. going, okay, well now five years later we're going to do radiation. If that doesn't work, then we're going to do this. And I said to him yesterday, so what caused your prostate cancer? Yeah. And he went, what? And he goes, no one's, no one's ever asked me Boom. that. <laughs> yeah, it was like, well, something must have caused it yeah. <laughs> like this. And he goes, oh. And I said, did something happen before? There's, you know, is anything? And he just sat there and he was just staring and he goes, you're right. Yeah. And I said, look, if you never deal with the cause, this is why it keeps coming back, mm. do you know? And then it will develop into something else and that until you, you deal with it, yep. do you know? And, you know? and just saying it as it is, yes. um, if you're treating him for instance he is succinctly in tune with his body more than you ever will be yes so on so many levels the patient owns the answer already innately inside so true and they just need someone i guess to peel that back and display that's so true i've always said to um, other professionals and and certainly to people that i work with um, i'm known for being fairly straightforward but particularly in case taking and i say to people you know you're going to come in here and tell me what you think i need to know yeah and i'm going to ask you what i actually need to know and it might not be overly comfortable yes so true and i don't want to fuck around until the yeah. fourth hour, until yes. we get there, let's get it done in this first consult. Let's know each other intimately, quickly, so and let's true. get this shit fixed. So, yeah, that's right. You know, um, it's it's inspiring for me to sit with someone who's come through it personally because I don't have yes. that. Do you know? Yes, I have a, an absolute empathy for people, but I don't have your, yes. you know, personal experience. Yes. And to hear from someone who's also a practitioner that's had that personally, that 
there's an opportunity for growth. There's an opportunity for uh, personal progression. Yes. And that a lot of the time the pain body which originates the reason for the cancer is on some level that no one's ever asked them about. That's exactly true. It's true every time you see that. So, And they really, deep in their soul, they want someone to ask them. Yeah. Because they know, like you said, they know the answer already. They just need someone to ask them and bring it out. Yeah. So. And, you know, it's funny, I, I don't want to sound like a creep in public toilets, but yeah. sometimes you're, you're walking to a, I don't know about yes. women's toilets, that'd be even creepier, but uh, <laughs> I'll walk into a guy's public toilet and be a sign up saying, you know, like a, a depression advertorial or an anxiety adver- yes. you know, advertorial that'll say, you know, 78% of people are depressed, you know, just ask someone how they're doing. And yes. uh, I think we're getting to that phase now in, yes. in Western culture where, well, it's no two way about it we are the first generation of people going through yes. where it's okay to talk about how you feel yeah right? absolutely no, no one gave a shit back in the last yes. generation or certainly the one before yes you know it was you know boys don't cry everything's suppressed oh, nothing's okay so um, true you know and there was you know uh, rape and and, um, and stuff on every corner that no one knew about because no one yes. talked about it that's right but here we are now living in society where you know um, universally that's not overly well accepted so true and, and people are, are being I guess um, um, prompted to promote kindness. Yeah, absolutely. It's That's a simple right. characteristic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. and it's But it's something that heals people. You yep. know, you get a little bit of kindness on a day, someone smiles at you, gives you, you know, says hello, yep. you know, and all of a sudden it lights your heart up, you know, yeah, and that's yep. part of healing. Do you have any uh, philosophy around cancer yourself now from your experience as both a person and a practitioner? If there's any of our listeners out there right now that are thinking, well, you know, I've got a, um, a genetic risk, you know, a predisposition, so to speak, like, and yeah. ovarian cancer is a classic one, right? It, yes. can, it can wipe out women right down a familial line. Yes. So if someone's like, oh, my mum died of ovarian cancer or, or any form of cancer for that matter, and, you know, and Auntie Liz had something similar as well, yes. what, what, what's your thoughts around prophylaxis with cancer? Because that's something that, you know, you talk about the allopathic medicine system. Yes. And, uh, and I'm all for it in many ways. But when it comes to disease, you've got yes. to have something before someone can treat it. Yeah, that's right. So, yes. so what's your thoughts and philosophy around not getting the bloody thing to begin with? Well, when you talk about, like, cancer in families, a lot of people will come in here and say, oh, yeah, my mum my had breast cancer, my auntie had breast cancer, but I don't have the BRAC gene. Yeah. So, but it's definitely a gene in my family, you know, and... I always say to them, it's not a gene, it's something that can be changed, you yeah. know. I believe cancer is, you know, on three levels, physical, you know, emotional and spiritual, mm. you know. And I believe that even genes can be changed through an emotional pattern. Absolutely they can. Yeah, so, yeah. and I believe that um, it's up to us in this lifetime, you know, to actually shift the patterning from our previous generations. Mm. And we can do that through what we eat, how we think, you yeah. know, we can change whatever the original pattern was, mm. do you know? So it doesn't have to be that for our daughters and for their children and down yeah. like that. And so if there is a, uh, a gene expression, that you know, there's still going to be something that turns that on, right? That's exactly right, you yeah. know? And, you know, even if you have, that's what I say, even if you have some sort of gene expression, if you eat the right foods, if you have the right emotions, if you, um, you know, you live your life freely and yeah. real, you know, it won't necessarily develop into something that's toxic and poison like cancer or another disease. Yeah. 
and what are the right foods? You know, because mindset's one of those things that's a much bigger conversation. Yes. And the spiritual journey is even larger once again. So we'll, we'll yes. leave that for another time. But tell us about um, your philosophy around food and, you know, what your um, considerations are as far as like anti-cancer eating goes. Okay, so... I'm a big believer that we're all unique individuals, yep. you know, and um, what diet suits one person may not necessarily suit the other person. Yep. But the big thing for me with cancer is that there's foods out there that have incredible phytonutrients and nutraceuticals and cancer-fighting ingredients within them. Mm. And we should concentrate with cancer on those foods as predominantly part of our diet, yep. you know. That and and really big things like the water we drink. Yeah. Do you know water is really important because water now is so tainted. tainted. Yeah, it? Oh, it's incredible. I mean, people don't even understand with fluoride, you know, you bind it to aluminium, yep. you know, all of a sudden we're drinking aluminium, that's displacing yep. silica. Yep. And our body's becoming more acidic. Yep. So, and it's a perfect environment for cancer and, to grow. And, and it's put in our waterways, yeah, which it, you just, exactly. you've got a question, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And then people go, oh, well, I'll get a filter on my tap, but then they're showering in it. Yeah. So, and, and you know, it's so something as simple as the right water we drink, mm-hmm. do you know, and eating a diet that's really high in a variety of different colors mm. and nutraceuticals within it so we're getting the full nutritional profile yeah so and and once again absorption yep so i think there's big problems nowadays with people absorbing yep. because they're so stressed you know it's ru- ruining their gut linings that's they're right. displacing their enzymes their their flora everything and so they might eat well but they're not necessarily drawing well mm. so i think it's really important for people to concentrate on you know, building that up, eating the right foods, you know, fermented foods, different things like that, mm-hmm. so we can have great absorption. So give us some ideas, just specifics, just throw a few of the foods at me. So you, you've, you've spoken about fermented foods, so, you know, kefirs yes. and sauerkrauts and all that cool stuff. Yes. Uh, and that's sort of fairly, um, um, what would you say, it's, it's pretty cool these days. So probably yeah. a lot of people have heard of fermented foods. That's what right. are some of the other major foods that you'd, that you'd recommend? Oh, um, well, I always love the other popular one, kale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kale, yeah, yeah. you know, all your cruciferous vegetables, yeah. you know, your broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels yeah. sprouts, um, radish, you know, anything dark green yeah. is really important. But also the, the polyphenols, you know, are found in the purple and the red, yeah. you know, like the um, purple grapes and, you know, um, the red capsicums and things like that. And they provide another kind of anti-inflammatory, antioxidant defences. Yeah. So... We've got every day we've got, you know, um, heavy metals in the environment, all these different attacks as well physically, but every day we can eat foods that can negate against the attack that we have. Yes. So that's how important diet is. Yeah. So. And what about, um, what about detoxification? What's your views on detox? Well, I think it's super important, particularly because I do a lot of heavy metal work mm. and, um, and I have a device that can, you know, measure heavy metals in 10 seconds. Mm. You know, it's incredible. It's from Germany and it's accurate. It's incredibly accurate. And you'll find nearly 100% of people that come in here uh, have some sort of heavy metal overload of some type. Wow. So that's quite dangerous because, you know, if you look at different heavy metals, they're displacing important minerals in the body that mm. are anti-cancer in nature. Mm, that's right. So that's where detoxification and drawing out, you know, any of those heavy metals and poisons is really important. Otherwise, it can lead to a bad situation with the cells. Yeah, sure. So. And life as a mother and life as a, as a, <laughs> you know, as a wife and the like. Um, yes. How do we, because a lot of people are, are like us, right? They've got children yes. and we send our kids to school and that's at right. school, you know, we give them the best we can, but I'm, I'm not really a, 
and uh, I don't think there's any such thing as the perfect lunchbox. No way. You know, and, and unfortunately, <laughs> right. when you know your friend, your children's friends are eating from the canteen and everything's two dollars, you can imagine the nutritional value. So, oh. how do we negate against you know, um, you know, poor farming practices and you know the food industry corporations and yes. the food technologists and yes. the people that are out there just trying to make food tastier and last longer, you know, yes. for commercial reasons. Yes. How, how do we? How do we negate about that? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, for me as a mother, you know, I get as much organic produce as I can. Yep. You know, I almost get 100% because only because I know what's done to food. Yep. Do you know, um, even if I get meats, I get really good grass-fed meats. Yep. You know, um, so I'm really careful. My salmon, I normally get Canadian sockeye salmon, you know, because yep. I know what's in different seafood as well. Mm. So I try to buy as much of that as possible. But I know when they go to school, it's not always going to be perfect, yep. you know. And even my lunch boxes, you know, 80, 85% of it's perfect, but there's always 15% treats. Yeah, of course. So, you know, you've got to have balance A in life. A girl's got to eat chocolate, Yeah, she? that's right. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> Any, any woman that comes in and says no, they don't eat I chocolate, I, just, chocolate. I instantly don't believe them. It's, yeah, it's just one of those one of those sort of things of life. And I guess that's the point I'm trying to make, that yes. it doesn't come down to being perfect. We don't have no. to kind of, you know, eat you know, organic all the time. We don't that's need right. to... Um, you know, worry out and, you know, let, no. let's face it, stress creates more oh. of, a, of a, you know, um, poor relationship and poor environment for us that oh. is likely to breed cancer than anything. That's absolutely right. But um, I, I guess it just comes down to that old 80-20 rule, right? Oh, absolutely. That's how I live my life. Everything's 80-20, oh, right? That's right. You know, otherwise I feel if you're 100% trying to do it that way, you're going to get stressed. And by yep. getting stressed, you create all this inflammation in your body and that makes things worse anyway. Yeah. So, and yep. don't feel guilt about anything if you have a treat. You know, yep. we deserve treats. Yep. How does one move closer towards self-love? Yeah, how does one... I know that's a yeah. personal question. Yeah. So I'll just ask you to um, uh, explain your relationship yes. um, with self-love, just yes. as an example for us. I know a lot of people struggle with that. Yes. And I know that at the highest end, you'll have programs and people that will say, you know, you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself. Yes. You know, I've done that before. I know how difficult that is for the average cat, you know. Yes, so yes. How do, how do we actually get back to this position of self-love? What, what are some of your, I guess, fundamental rules or, or aspects behind it that, that you do yes. for yourself? Well, well, for me, I think, you know, if we go back to basics and simplicity, you mm. know, I think for me, eating really well makes me physically look better, yep. you know, so I physically feel better, yep. you know, I like to run, that I surf. That your confidence That's exactly right. I, yeah, and I do things I really enjoy. I love to surf, you know, I love to run. Um, I like to walk my husky, you know, I love to spend time with my kids, you know, so I do a lot of things I really enjoy. Yeah. I live my life by passion, yeah. do you know. If I didn't, I wasn't passionate what, about what I do, I would change my job, yeah. basically. Yep. So my whole life has lived around enjoying what I do, yep. but also giving back for me. And how many people out there go to a nine to five every day that yes. they just despise? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the greatest way to create poor self-love. Yeah. Do you know? Because you're doing something you hate. Yep. Inside, there's that turmoil. Yep. Do you know? And then you're not loving yourself because you're not really following your passion within mm. life. Mm. I mean, I think there's some great things out there now like, you know, um, NET and kinesiology and all these different things that can help with brain patterning, you know, to help yep. if you feel that you can't get there yourself. But I think sometimes it's best to always start with basics. Mm. You know, eating the right foods and all of a sudden you start feeling better. 
yeah. you know, digestion's working, you're yeah. starting to glow from the inside out, you yeah. know. As soon as you detox, how good do you feel? Amazing. Amazing. Absolutely. And then how clears your brain? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And even from like a, from an energy flow perspective, oh. you, when you start talking about walking your husky and yes. going for a surf and walking in the sand and playing with your kids, these are all classic, you know, like root and sacral chakra yes. balancing processes. And I know that when you when you look more into Eastern philosophy, they say that you know yes. we are invigorated and held in place by the earth yes. at that root level. Yes. And then, of course, you know, source energy up at that sort of knowing level. Yeah, know? that's right. And I think that... Um, you know, living in modern times and not doing grounding movements, you know, yes. like, I can't tell me people that I'll ask them to just go and walk barefoot in the grass. Yes, that's exactly you know? the earthing of that. Yep. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, and, and when you get like a, a surfer, you know, like yep. they'll say to you, you know, the ocean, uh, yes. is, it's, it's, it's almost a prayer in its own right. So it's true. very cleansing to our subtle energies. You that's know? right. And I think we live in times where we have to give more, um, more of our energy um, yes. towards understanding the fact that we are um, complex creatures. That's and right. And we're not just a series of organs and cells and tissues. That's know? right, yes. Um, so you recommend these grounding-based exercises, people just to reconnect to the earth? Oh, completely. I, I really believe in earthing. And I think, you know, I think the problem now is we're not connecting to grass and to mm. the sand and to the ocean and things like that. When we start to do that, you know, if we have stresses or we have these burdens that yeah. are holding us down, they just disappear. Yep. You know, every every morning that I, when I walk, you know, or I'm, I'm running with my husky and stuff like that, um, you know, I'm either spending a bit of time and I meditate, or I really love things like, you know, I am, you know, yeah. meditation, yeah. saying to myself, yep. I am healthy, I am powerful, yes. I am. They're, they're the two most powerful world, words in the world. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people don't use them. Mm. So, and I think it's really important, you know, to visualize that if, you know, you want to make changes within your life. And our I am becomes our purpose and our reason for being, right? That's so true. So now we yes. feel connection energetically yes. to, to the world. We feel connected to the people and things and events and circumstances around us. Yes. And obviously when we're feeling supported universally and we're feeling connected energetically, yes. it's not really a great breeding ground for tumours. That's exactly right. That's so true. And that's not negating, of course, shit food yes. and you know environmental yes. pollution and all the other things that can cause cancer. Because lots of people, like they meditate and lots of people you know, walk their husky yes. that might still get cancer. But That's right. I guess what uh, what you're getting at today, and certainly what I will back up 100%, is the fact that we need to look deep inside. That's exactly right. We need to know who we are. Yes. Uh, we need to be okay with the things around us. That's exactly right. And we need to take responsibility. That's you know, right. When there's stuff there, you know. That's um, right. Trevor and I the other day were talking about the externalization of pain. Yes. And that's what the average person does, don't they? Yeah, that's you know? right. That's not yes. working for me. It's his fault. It's yeah. Fault. We want to blame you know? people. Yeah, it's yeah. my mum's fault and yeah. all the rest of it, you know. And, yes. and, that, and that's great. And sometimes yes. it's nice to sit there and lick your own, your own wounds, yes. let's be honest, you know. And it's nice to... Um, sit in that sort of tragedy for a while and, and it serves its own purpose. But at some phase, we need to be able to look, you know, yes. deep within, yes. um, ask those big questions and understand that um, something like cancer or another dysfunction of similar kind of vein is in fact an opportunity to evolve. That's exactly right. And it does change your life for the better. Yeah. So yeah. tell us a bit uh, about your clinic here um, yes. as we start to wind the podcast up. Yes. Um, anyone that is around this area or anyone that can obviously fly into the Gold Coast Airport, you're literally, you know, five minutes from the Gold Coast Airport. Yeah. What can people expect by coming to your clinic? You've got a, an awesome yes. doctor um, yes. that's joining your team now. You've got yes. some awesome girls out the front that do a variety of work other than yes. yourself. Yeah. Uh, what does the Katrina Ellis... Um, um, clinic stand for and what do you mostly specialise in here? Um, we, we're super holistic with our health here so um, we don't want someone to come in and you know we want to 
basically unravel the reason of why they got into the position they are. So we use we use amazing testing techniques, you know, um, great technology about that, but we really get deep inside, you know, to find out why they are in the position they are. You know, we do a lot of work with like fertility. Cancer's my specialty. Yes. You know, but um, surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Cancer's something I love. Um, but I've got a Japanese acupuncture. She does a lot of hormones, fertility. She's incredible. Yep. Yep. And then my doc, my doctor Steve Mercer, he's just amazing. You know, he does a lot of um, laser acupuncture to the brain, neurological work to shift things. So he works mm. on the emotional level. So he does emotional kinesiology. Yep. So. And that way, we're, we're like a complete unit. So we work emotionally, spiritually and physically. And, yeah. that, and that's what we love, you yeah. know. And we're very good because we refer between, we know all the doctors and all the specialists and things like that if we need them. Yeah. So we have great connections like that. So people that. are getting a full level of care, essentially. I believe that's important. And, and if there's something that I can't do, then I'll refer them on to someone else. So they've yeah. got a great team or a network around them so then they can live their life free and, mm. and free from illness, you know. One thing that I didn't touch on that I will if you don't mind... Um, Yes. Um, you're a mum these days. You've got a daughter and you've got a son. Yeah. But you had ovarian cancer and you're told you'd never be able to have kids. So yes. Uh, what happened? Well, this is the funny thing. I thought I still had two ovaries and yeah. it was funny. They must have um, – so anyway, they took my right ovary and they left a slither of the left ovary. Yep. So when they took it off. So there was still a slither of that. Now, um, ovarian tissue can regenerate. regenerate yeah. yeah. So um, so anyway, I really wanted to have babies. I'd met my new husband you know um and you know he was the love I met him when I was 20 and you know we'd always thought about each other and you know the love was there yeah. you know and um and he so I'd always wanted to have children so I was super healthy at this time doing lots of yoga you know writing more books and you know just absolutely loving life and absolutely in love you mm. know and then all of a sudden, you know... Yeah. Um, Up come these dang. little beings. Yeah, that's right. You asked, how, how did you find out you were pregnant, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you know, when, when you are told you'll never conceive, you don't ever yes. think, you know, I'm three days later, I might go and do a urine test. Well, you know, the funny thing is, the whole time that since I first had my period and through the whole chemotherapy and through everything and all my travels, my cycle had never, ever been one day late. Really? The whole time I had it through Even my whole... Even through chemo? Through chemo. It was yeah. always... The timing of my cycle was always amazing. Mm. So and so my pituitary was always like the 28, 29 days. I bet during chemo you wish the buggers didn't come. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they were heavy. <laughs> Go away. <Jeez. laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah, as soon as I missed, I was like... This is unusual for me. Yeah. yeah. So, but I knew I felt it inside. Yeah, that's further a hope. That yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, I felt this flutter over the inside. And I know I, I had actually been doing a lot of fertility stuff beforehand, yeah. just in the hope that maybe something would happen. Yeah. So I was doing acupuncture. I was taking she oak, shatavari, yeah. you know, all these great things. I was the cleanest and healthiest I'd ever been in my life, you mm. know. Plus, I had all that love you know, that love inside, you yeah. know, there. And yeah, and then all of a sudden, I was pregnant with Carter. So, That's freaky. How old's Carter yeah. now? Carter's about to turn 11 on Monday. Yeah, and what about your daughter? She's um, nine. Yeah, yeah, wow. No more? So, That's it? Well, I could have more, but I got so much busy with my work. Yeah. I would have, you yeah. know, and, you know, my pregnancies were perfect. They were great. I, yep. They were um, amazing. So, and actually when I was pregnant with her, I was in Hong Kong working over there treating treating people, and I thought I had the Hong Kong flu. Yeah. So I didn't expect it, do you uh, know? So like, you're basically yeah, early you know, nausea and the like. Yeah. yeah, and I'm going, oh, I've got this Hong Kong flu and I'm telling my friend, yeah. <laughs> driving around Hong Kong. Got the Hong, to- got the Hong Kong baby. <laughs> I know, it's funny. <laughs> well, it's been awesome Hello. catching up, um, Katrina. Thanks so much for uh, giving us your insight and bringing us into your world. Uh, I wish you a, life, uh, a lifetime of love and happiness. And oh. um, thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having me. Okay, take care. Bye. 
thank you for listening to this episode of Caravan Conversations, proudly produced by PSE Supplements. To see more about the podcast, including notes from the episode, please visit caravanconversations.com. You can also follow PSE Supplements at pse.com.au or search for PSE Supplements on Facebook. 